invite your attention to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13. We read, And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Faith, hope, charity, but the greatest of these, it says, is charity. I want to look at the whole chapter this morning, and I want to see if we can draw some, um, some nuggets of encouragement for us in our walk with the Lord. He says that charity is greater than faith and hope. That's a remarkable statement to me. If you go to the beginning of the chapter, he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Now, faith is the gift that God gives to us that enables us to be able to believe his word, to take him at his word, to live our lives according to the promises of his word, to be able to uh, serve him uh, faithfully. God gives us the gift of faith in order for us to be able to serve him in this life. And yet in Romans chapter 12, we're taught that we're not to think more highly of ourselves uh, than we ought to, according as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. So not everybody, not everybody has the same measure of faith. Sometimes we're tempted to be critical of a brother or sister that doesn't have the same light on a conviction that we might have and say, well, I wish they had more faith to, to walk in the light of, of the truth of God's word. He says we're not to think more highly of ourselves. In Romans twelve three. he says, I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God had dealt to every man, the measure of faith. And so the faith that he's talking about here has to do with the gifts that God gives to the church, whether it's preaching, whether it's leading singing, whether it's offering prayer, whether it's cleaning the church building, whether it's fixing uh, dinner, the different gifts that God gives to the church. And each one of you as members of this church have gifts that God's given and that we're to be faithful and diligent to use. But he says, so we being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith or ministry, let us wait on our ministering or he that teacheth on teaching or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. But then notice how he ends here. He says, let love be without dissimulation. So after he lists all these different spiritual gifts that God gives, he ends it with love. And here we're taught in 1 Corinthians that love or charity is greater than faith and hope. We have these three things right now, faith, hope, and charity. But the greatest of these is charity. So we find that charity is greater than faith and hope. Now, Faith's a remarkable thing. If you turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 11, you can read that, read the whole chapter. I encourage you to. What's often called the Faith Hall of Fame. It talks about what men and women of the past have done and are doing today by faith. It says, who through faith, Hebrews eleven thirty three, who through faith subdued kingdoms. Think about Joshua and the children of Israel going up against the walls of Jericho. I mean... How impossible are the circumstances? You've got a walled city, and this is their first battle after crossing over Jordan. And then you've got God, 
who is the captain of the army, who says, here's the game plan. You're going to march around the city uh, once for a week, every day. And then on the seventh day, you're going to march seven times. And then when I give the word, you're going to blow your trumpets. And then the walls are going to come down. I mean, who would have come up with that plan? But that was, that was uh, accomplished by faith. Joshua could have said, well, that doesn't make any sense. I'm not going to follow your plan and suffered great defeat. It says through faith, they subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Who's that remind us of? Old Daniel and the lions then, right? Daniel could have said, well, you know, I know the king's passed the decree. And I'm just going to close my doors, close my windows so nobody sees me praying today. No, he went and he did what he had been accustomed to doing. He opened his windows and he faced towards Jerusalem and he prayed three times a day, just like always, even before that decree was passed. He stopped the mouths of lions by faith, it says, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Think about the martyrs that we've read about in church history who had the choice to simply deny their faith in Jesus, basically curse God, like Job's wife gave him that bad counsel, uh, deny Christ, and then their lives would be spared. But it says that they were tortured, not accepting deliverance. And how was it? It was by faith. Certainly faith is a remarkable thing that God gives to us. And it says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. We have to have faith and believe that God not only exists, but that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. How diligently are we seeking him? Well, our pursuit of God is going to be in proportion to the faith that who gives? God gives. He's the one that gives to us the measure of faith, as we read in Romans chapter 12. And yet we're reading in Corinthians that charity is greater than faith. You can turn to the book of Romans chapter 4 and we read about the man who's often called the father of the faithful, Abraham, who it says in Genesis believed God and God accounted it to him for righteousness. And we'll see his faith and his hope in this verse here in Romans 4, 18. It says, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. So we see the remarkable blessing that Abraham had, that he could have hope in what seemed like a hopeless circumstance because of his faith and his confidence in the power of God and in the promise of God, in the word of God, that he was willing to, to surrender his life completely to the, the word of God, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. And yet we're taught that Charity is greater than both faith and hope. In Matthew uh, 17, Jesus talks to his disciples, and he reproved his disciples frequently for their lack of faith. <clears throat> In Matthew chapter 17, his disciples had been unable to heal a man that was a lunatic. The man's father said, I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. 
For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, we're talking about a very small amount of faith. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. So what a remarkable thing faith is. That Jesus says, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed, and it will remove. It will be moved out of your way. That's the kind of faith that we need when we're trying to serve God in this life. When God leads us in a certain direction, when he convicts us from his word about something that's important, and we say, well, Lord, if I do that, there's going to be uh, a lot of unpleasant consequences. If I put you first, if I really seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, it might mean that I become poor, or it might mean that I become unpopular, or it might mean that I don't get to have my way uh, like I would like to have it. And yet he says, charity is greater than faith and hope. The second verse says, and though I have the gift of prophecy in chapter 13, though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. So we find that charity is greater than faith and hope. And we also find that charity is a greater asset to the church and to the believer than faith and hope. If you can do all these things, I mean, how many of us would like to be able to speak with the tongues of men and angels? Moses, I'm I'm sure, would have liked to have been more eloquent in his speech. That was one of his objections to doing what God called him to do and leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. He said, Lord, I'm slow of speech. You may say, well, I'm not very eloquent. I'm not very uh, intelligent. I don't really have a good understanding of the word of God. And that doesn't limit God from calling you to do something maybe you never expected to do. Like he did with Moses. And it's interesting when I think about Moses, how when he was 40, it was almost like he had some prescience or he kind of anticipated what God was going to call him to do in delivering and defending the children of Israel. And he went out in his own strength and he slew the Egyptian. But when he was 80, 40 years later, he was so humble, he was so meek, that he didn't see himself at all qualified. And that's, beloved, when we're ready to be used by God. When we see that we're weak, God says that his strength is made perfect in weakness. That's when God's going to be glorified when we say, Lord, I I don't have the ability in myself to do what you're calling me to do. But God, give me the strength and give me the grace to do it, to be faithful. But if you have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, so if you're just the best preacher and you understand all the difficult scriptures and you've got all knowledge, you can memorize and you can quote and you can just rattle off those Proverbs when somebody's got a difficult situation, you say, well, brother, it says in Proverbs 22, verse 3, and this is exactly what you need to do. If you've got all faith so that you can remove mountains and he says, and have not charity, I am nothing. So it doesn't matter how talented we are. It doesn't matter how much faith we have. It doesn't matter how many natural abilities we have. Without charity, without love, he says, it doesn't profit us anything. It may profit those that you're serving, but as far as you're concerned, it's not going to benefit you. And then he says in verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity is greater than faith and hope. Charity is a greater asset than faith and hope. And verse 3 teaches us that charity is more than sacrificial giving and personal sacrifice. Now, to me, that's a little bit surprising. 
He says, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Now, when I think about charity, I mean, what's the first thing we think about? You're giving to charity. You're giving to an organization that takes care of the homeless or the poor, right? That's how we use the word charity. This is just the English word for the same word that's translated love in other places in Scripture. We're talking about true, God-like love. And he says that it's more than personal sacrifice. It's more than sacrificial giving. Well, I thought that's what charity was. But he says, no, you can do those things and still not have charity. You can be very generous. You can be very sacrificial in your giving of yourself and of your time and of your wealth. You can be very uh, faithful. And yet he says, if you don't have charity, you're nothing and it profits you nothing. Charity is more than sacrificial giving and personal sacrifice. Well, what is it then? What is love? What is, I mean, there's a, that's a big debate. Honestly, philosophically, that's a big debate about what, what is true love. We just got done reading Gone with the Wind, and I realized at the very end that neither one of them really ever understood what love is. They were saying, I love you, when really they meant, I long for you, or I'm infatuated with you. And that's a lot of times what young people say when they say, I I love him or her, this, this boy or girl. We use the word love, and all we're talking about is a strong desire for someone or something that's going to give us pleasure. And God says that's not what charity is. Uh, in Frozen, you've probably all seen that movie in 2012. It came out and they said, you know, one of the lines in there, the little girl says, well, or maybe it's the snowman. He says, oh, I know what love is. It's putting the needs of others before yourself. And um, that's a pretty good definition. Actually, I'm surprised Disney got that so right. But here, it says that it's more than just simply giving of ourselves. Because he says you can give yourself, you can give your body to be burned, you can bestow all your goods to feed the poor, and yet not have charity. So what is charity? What is love? Well, my definition is, and I get this from Romans chapter 5, verse 5, but it is the outflow of the abundance of the Holy Ghost revealing Christ to or in the heart of a sinner. The charity that we're talking about in Romans uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is the outflow of the abundance of the Holy Ghost revealing Christ to the sinner. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 5. It says this. It says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So the kind of love that we're talking about is the outflow of that relationship, that living, dynamic relationship that the believer has with his Savior, Jesus Christ. As the Holy Ghost is operating in us and revealing Christ in us and to us, there is an outflow and there's an abundance that comes forth from our lives that brings glory to God and that leads us in loving and serving and showing charity to one another. You can do lots of sacrificial, you can serve in the church, you can give of yourself and yet not be motivated, not be filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, there's, there's evidences of that in Scripture. Uh, Balaam was a false prophet. He loved the wages of unrighteousness. And yet he went and he preached and he preached the truth. He said, I can't, put, I can't say anything other than what God puts in my mouth. And yet he was a cursed man. You can serve and yet not have charity. You can serve and not have 
that love that flows from a relationship with God. The outflow of the abundance of the Holy Ghost revealing Christ to the sinner. John 15 puts it this way. Jesus says, John 15, 5. He says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, he can do nothing. So how are we going to bear much fruit to the glory of God? How are we going to be a benefit in the kingdom of God and show charity to one another? Well, it's the result of abiding in Christ. Christ abiding in us and us abiding in Christ. And the fruit that comes from that relationship, that intimate, loving, blessed relationship that we have with God through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 4, he says, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Let's look, at, let's look at these different attributes of charity. Charity suffereth long. Now, we're going to go through these. There's a lot here. I think there's about 16 different attributes. But I'm just going to give you my layman's interpretation of each one of these qualities. Charity suffereth long. All right, if we're going to have charity towards one another, it says we've got to be long-suffering. And here's how I translate that. We don't give up on one another easily. We don't give up on one another easily. Charity is long-suffering. We don't say, well, I'm going to just wipe my hands of this relationship. You're a hopeless case. I'm not even going to try to pray for you anymore. There's no more hope for you. Charity is long-suffering. Uh, Jesus taught us that if somebody offends us, if your brother offends you and comes and, and asks your forgiveness, you're to forgive him. Not seven times seven, but 70 times seven. If it was possible for him to offend you 490 times in one day, you're to forgive him 490 times in one day. Charity suffereth long. Charity is kind. Okay? What's the layman's interpretation of being kind? We're not unnecessarily mean to one another. Sometimes we can be grumpy. Sometimes we can be short-tempered. Charity's kind. We're not unnecessarily mean to one another. And we don't assert our advantages. How easy is it when somebody's down on their luck and you feel superior to kind of rub it in a little bit? Charity's kind. Charity envieth not. Envy. We, we, we aren't jealous of the supposed advantages of others. We're not to be envious of one another. We're not to be jealous of the advantages or the supposed advantages that we see that others may have. Charity vaunteth not itself. We're not self-promoting. How many of us have to admit that that's most of my conversation? Some subtle way, let me promote myself. Let me make you think that I'm such a good person. Charity doesn't do that. Vaunteth not itself. Charity's not puffed up. So we don't pretend to be more important than others are. Charity's not puffed up. Charity does not behave itself unseemly. So we don't act or speak without considering the effect our actions may have on others. That's just good manners. It's not unseemly. When we say something, when we do something, we need to be considering the kind of effect it's going to have on those around us. Charity does not seek her own. We're not primarily concerned with our own reputation and profit. Does not seek her own. You say, well, does that mean we're not supposed to take care of our bills or our family? No, that's not what he's saying. But he is saying, like Paul says to the Philippians, he says, look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of 
of others. We're to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We're going to look at that a little bit more here in a minute. In Philippians 2, he says, verse 4, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So a real good litmus test for each, for each one of us would be when we go on our knees and pray to God, who's the first person that we're praying for? When we make supplication, are, are we on the top of our prayer list? Or are we equally concerned for the welfare and the spiritual prosperity of those in the church? Charity does not seek her own. Charity is not easily provoked, so we don't get easily irritated with one another. Here's a big one. Charity thinketh no evil. Thinketh no evil. We don't entertain, we shouldn't entertain, unkind thoughts about one another. That's another one that's convicting. How many of us have to admit, maybe none of you, but at least I have to admit, that somebody can say something a little funny or have a little funny look on their face and immediately I have those vain imaginations. What did I do? Why are they mad at me? Thinketh no evil. We're not to entertain unkind thoughts about one another. Charity rejoices not in iniquity. Somebody's struggling with sin. We shouldn't be excited when we see someone else struggling. And it says, but rejoices in truth. So we should get excited when others are repenting and believing the gospel. Rejoices in truth. Charity believes all things. Or bears all things. We can put up with mistreatment, scorn, and rebuke for Christ's sake. Charity bears all things. Believes all things. We take people at their word. We take people at their word even at the expense of being deceived or labeled gullible. Now you may have some problems with that and we can talk about it later. But when it says believes all things, I think that's primarily what he's teaching us. That we need to believe people, even if we have 99% suspicion that we're being lied to. He says, believes all things. Now, use discretion, use wisdom. But I think we need to give people the benefit of the doubt. Even if it means we're labeled as gullible or deceived. Charity hopes all things. So we have the best of expectations for repentant believers. And the confidence that God can make the strongest rebel submissive to his will. Charity endures all things. We can persevere in love because of God's grace and charity never fails. We never outgrow our need to love and be loved. Now, I think probably that's why he says that charity is greater than faith and hope because faith and hope are going to, we're going to, there's going to come a point in our existence where faith and hope are no longer necessary. But we're always going to need charity. We're always going to need to be loving others and being loved by others and by, most importantly, by God. Charity never fails. We're never out going to grow our need to love and be loved. Now, the devil will work on us and he'll say, well, you, you're not worthy to be loved. Well, it doesn't matter whether or not you're worthy. The fact is you need to be loved. We need to be loved and we need to know that God loves us and we need to show love to one another. We never outgrow our need to love and to be be loved. So he says, <clears throat> verse 8, Charity never faileth, but where whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. So these things are going to pass away. Prophecies. And I think primarily he's talking about the preaching. I think probably based on this, we... 
There's not going to be a lot of preaching going on in heaven because you're going to know God intimately like you are known by him. You're just going to have a, a knowledge of who Christ is and there's not going to be any heresy. There's not going to be any wrong thinkings that need to be wrong ideas that need to be corrected. There's not going to be a need for prophecy anymore. They shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. There's debates about whether or not tongues have ceased or not, but certainly the reason they were given was so that those who spoke different languages could hear the good news, the glad tidings of the gospel. He says that gift is going to cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. So when that which is perfect replaces imperfect knowledge and prophecy, charity will remain. Now, someone asked Christ, what's the greatest commandment? And he answered, the greatest commandment is, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love thy neighbor as thyself. You can read that in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. There's other places in Mark and Luke that this is referenced, but we'll read the one in Matthew. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, for us to love one another like we love ourselves, it has to flow out of this love that he describes that we have, this supreme love, this all-consuming worship and adoration that we have for God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind. And he says in strength in Mark and Luke. And the second, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So how do we love God with all of our heart? Well, the heart, I believe, refers to our affections. What do we value? Remember Jesus said that where your heart is, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So if your treasure is Christ, then your heart's in heaven with him, seated at the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God and not on things on the earth. We're to love God with all of our heart, all of our affection, everything that we value. The things of value in this life shouldn't uh, be any comparison to the value and the esteem we place upon Jesus Christ. All of our attention, our devotion, our emotion is directed towards God in love. And we're to love him with our soul. I think the soul, that's the essence of who you are. All of your commitment, your trust, your reliance, your worship, your behavior, everything flows from that love that you have for Jesus Christ. What about our mind? That faculty for us to perceive and our memory and our attention. And we, we value things with our mind as well and our reason, our thoughts, our desires, everything directed to Christ in love. Strength, the activity, the energy, the power, the service, the movement, every aspect of our life directed in love for God. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. So, <clears throat> we need to give our neighbor attention just like we give ourselves attention. Desire the welfare of our neighbor in body, soul, and spirit. Desire the welfare of our neighbor's long-term well-being. 
Desire his spiritual prosperity or her spiritual prosperity. Desire his or her usefulness in God's kingdom. Desire for her or his experience of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. This is the charity that we're to have that he says is greater than faith and hope. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a real good prayer. For us to pray for one another. Paul says, I'm praying for you to be preserved, body, soul, and spirit. God may, may preserve your whole spirit and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can love one another and forget about that we not only have physical bodies, but we also have souls. We have spirits. And we need to prosper and be in health in all of those areas. Like John said, he prayed in Second John for his reader to be in a prosperous spiritual state. Romans fourteen seventeen says, The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace. And joy in the Holy Ghost. This is the focus of God's kingdom. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not about what you eat. It's not about what you drink. It's not about what you wear. It's about righteousness, which comes by faith and peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ and joy in the Holy Ghost. Let's pray for one another to have that joy that comes from the Holy Ghost. And then lastly, in Hebrews chapter 12, as we serve one another and we pray for one another and we try to exercise charity one another, he says in Hebrews 12, 14, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. We're to follow peace with all men, especially in the church. We're to seek peace, we're to follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. So as we pray for one another, as we serve one another, we'll find that the way that we show our love to one another, the way we show our love to God, John takes us up in 1 John, is in loving God and keeping His commandments. By this we know, he says in John 1 John 5.2 By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. That's how we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and we keep His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous. We know in part and we prophesy in part but when that which is perfect is come then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. So right now we're in this state of immaturity. We're like children. He says, for now we see through a glass darkly. The greatest theologian 
whoever you may reckon that to be, John Gill, John Calvin, he still saw through a glass darkly. But there's a coming of time, beloved, when it says, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. The Lord's coming back. May he come back quickly. And may our love for him abound in knowledge and in all judgment. And may we have the outflowing of the Holy Spirit in our life. We might show love to one another, pray for one another, serve one another. God bless you. It's our prayer. glad you've been able to listen to this special podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at 10:30 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you.